Hi, this is Marcia Epstein in Lawrence, Kansas, and this is Talk With Me. And I'm kind of on this lucky roll right now with people who don't do probably as many interviews as some, people who have been writing and in some cases drawing, shout out to Jana Carlson, um, and working with poetry and other kinds of writing for a long time, high impact people in terms of their work. It's really exciting stuff and it all happens in part thanks to the joys of the internet connecting people in a very good way. Um, my guest today, I was trying to think how the original connection happened, but um, the dear folks at Six Foot Swells Press, and that includes Julie Vallon, Matt Amott, and Todd Cirillo, they have recently put out a book by a poet who's been writing since the 1960s or more. We'll hear more about that. And so today, listeners, we get to hear Will Staple, get to learn some about him and his poetry. Will, welcome to talk with me. Well, nice to you to call. I am glad to do this. I'm sitting here with your book beside me, actually a pile of poetry beside me, but yours is on top because it's the one that I'm reading most recently to get a little bit of a feel for, for your work in terms of this book called Arrows Go Through Hearts that, that actually has work written over a long period of time. Um, and that one's, again, from Six Foot Swells Press, and we'll tell you about that too. But I I would love, I always, I, I always tell people, I don't have like a list of questions um, that I use for the show, but I do always ask people to share a little bit about themselves to get us started. So that would be my first invitation. Will Staple, a few things about you. Uh, pardon me? Just a few things about you. Oh, um, I live in the woods, <laughs> Okay. three miles from a paved road, uh-huh. and electricity, so I use kerosene lamps um, yeah. in the trees, about 3,000 feet in California. I've been employed for, oh, 30 or 40 years with poetry in the schools, where oh. I go and get some principal to agree to pay me some money, and I go into the classes. Wonderful. And my favorite grade is uh, fourth grade. Ah. And as the um, as the poetry in the school's work has uh, declined uh, because of uh, state state funding, um, I've had time to uh, publish books, and uh, in particular, Arrows Go Through Hearts, and then that's from 1970 to 1995, and then I'm working now on a second book, which is. Uh, Use mostly a different style, um, and that'll be from '95 till I don't know till next year, the end of uh-huh. next year. Uh huh. Cool. Very cool. So you you live in a way that is not the way many of us live. You you said kerosene, no electricity, far from a paved road. That has to have many of its own stories, and so I guess I want to ask about. That and writing, like I'm, I, I, I go back in my mind to a, to a friend whose country living was so important to him that he had no refrigerator because although he had electricity, 
he didn't like the noise of the refrigerator, you know? And so I'm wondering about you and, and writing and living as you do in what seems like, I will use the word pristine, this, this area that's not so touched by all the contraptions and um, pluses and minuses, you know, of, of modern times. Well, I have a propane refrigerator, but a few years ago, my refrigerator died and I was without electricity. But I found that the um, the back of a toilet, the water in the <laughs> container, you could put four or five beers in there and it would be, keep them reasonably cold. That's innovation. <laughs> But I'm really happy to have my propane on-demand water heater for my bath. And uh, and I do have a propane light when I have to do the dishes at night in the kitchen. Uh-huh. But um, it's, it's pretty good. You know, with two kerosene lights and maybe a small candle in between them. And by moving the book towards the light, you can read just fine. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, about stimulation between 1970 and 1995, there was a, a strong alternative culture, as there were many places, especially, I guess you'd call the folks out here in the woods re-inhabitory. Mm-hmm. It was the first time in the history of the United States that more people left the cities for the country or the back country. Uh, and now the process has gone back to normal where most people go from here to the modern uh, lights of the bright city. Mm-hmm. And so for that, the period of Girls Go Through Hearts, um, the poems were often conversational or the conversation as I had with people that were of the same culture, we would be talking and they'd say, oh, you should write that down. And then when I was in best of forms, I would write it down. Sometimes. I even captured what I had said. Oftentimes, I had to work on it to get it back to uh, where um, it's what I meant to say. Mm-hmm. And since that time, since 1997, I've been um, going to Europe where I've gotten a lot of it, more attention than I might have deserved. Uh, initially, Paris, and now... Um, in the middle of Germany, just in upper Bavaria, there's a big gathering every two years. And, uh, there's one other, there's one German American. He also creates in English, but I, uh, I read in English, but I have sometimes a translator to read after I do, Mm -hmm. but most Mm -hmm. of these people understand English, but, uh, and you know, they, they, they have a, um, Especially with Arrows Go Through Hearts, where I had a, a very good friend in the bottom of the Grand Canyon. It's the Havasupai Reservation, uh, sort of east of the main park. Um, and so he was a, a great inspiration to me, too. And the Germans have a real fondness for American Indians. And so uh, when I was up for a contest in 1999, the Ingpol Median Culture uh, Contest, the international award was awarded to me for three books, um, which were, I hate the men you sleep with, 
the only way to reduce crime is to make fewer acts illegal. Numinous Luminosity, which was written in hmm, oh, 95 to 98. And um, one other. Oh, mm-hmm. Dr. Montoya's Medicine? Yeah, I think I gave you the four books. I, or maybe I only gave you three. But, right. uh, and book. so after that, then I got to be invited to more places uh, and uh, would read. And now I read last year or, yeah, last year I read, no, last summer already. Uh, uh, though I read in Berlin and uh, a little bit in Frankfurt, most of it was done in Munich and south of Munich in the very southern part of uh, Germany because that's my... Uh, main translator, Egon Gunter. And uh, usually in one book, Rough Beauty, which in Germany is Herbe Schontheit, um, Egon Gunter just selected the poems and made a book. And so uh, this is very good information for me. What do other people like in a different culture? What poems would they choose? And a, lo- a number of people, including my neighbor Gary Snyder, has had problems with uh, translations. And I think the problem is you're paying for translations and you're telling them what to write. And when you don't pay for them and they do it out of the love of the heart, um, I think the results are better. At least it has been for me from all the uh, feedback I could get. And over there, I will read in English and... Uh, a translator uh, will, uh, so they get the idea of what the poem's about and I uh, give them my wave my hands and I talk in a dramatic voice so they, they think they're really hearing an international award-winning poet uh, but they're not sure they understand everything so there's a little question in their mind mm-hmm. and then uh, the German comes yeah. And they say, "Oh, yeah, that's what he was talking about." Yeah, the, to me, the whole notion of translation of poetry is very complex. And I think about two poets who I've talked to, um, where that's an important part of their work. One is uh, somebody who's based in Kansas City, um, Shanet Carasa, whose native language is Spanish, and Shanet, uh, although she's fluent in English. Um, she she has several books where her poetry is in her native Spanish. Her translation is actually done by an, an, a poet whose native language is English, and then also um, art. So so that I, I always laugh because the the term ekphrastic poetry, Shanette, uh taught me in terms of, of art and poetry that inform each other. So she often has all three. And again, it's it's a translator. Excuse me, it's a poet who is the translator, and and then uh, a person named Mark Statman. I don't know if you've ever seen Mark's work. The name's but, familiar, yeah. Okay, Mark Mark was in New York for a very long time, but now lives in uh, the the Oaxaca part of Mexico, and um, he is really known for translation of works from Spanish into English, um, and and that not just the the translation of the words, but also to be able to create the similar feel 
in that second language, which to me is perhaps the difference that you notice in those translators who love what they're doing versus ones who are more doing it by rote as this is how this word is said in this other language. Uh, yeah, I, I'm trying to mainly get the meaning down more than the, the sound. Okay. That the sound thing, it's possible to do, and these are very, very good professional translators. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But um, what I prefer is to have the English on one side and right on the other side, you get the Italian in one case, numinous luminosity, mm-hmm. uh, or um, so that the and or in rough beauty, or the uh, the only way to reduce crime is to make fewer acts illegal. Um, you have the English on one side, the German on the other. So if there's any uh, question about the German or the Italian, they can go back to the English. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you're not. Uh, you're not at the mercy of somebody else's interpretation. Mm-hmm. Now, having said that, sometimes um, the interpretation or the the poet's poem turns out to be uh, better than than the one I wrote. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, and for this, I'm very grateful. Uh-huh. when it should happen. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And I think that's probably what I meant by, not that it had to be better, but when I talked about the sound of the poetry, what I meant was how how important what poetry out loud is as opposed to only on the page, you know? And translation doesn't necessarily capture that unless somebody is is intentionally trying to keep that flavor in the translation. Um, so, so I want to, I, I want to hear something about the connection between you, the way I'm going to say it, my understanding from, from what Todd Cirillo told me, you, you grew up with the beat poetry movements and, and now you're this internationally recognized awarded poet and and that seems to me like a pretty big journey. And and I will say that in reading what I've read so far from Arrows Go Through Hearts, I experience different types of poetry and, and not that I know poetic structure and say it's this, it's that, but but some very brief poetry, some longer poetry, lots of different to me, um, some that's very much in you know that that I don't know how to say this exactly, but but where where there's a meaning that comes very quickly, and some that that captures a lot of of um, opportunity for reflection. And I'm thinking I need to see what this is is alluding to. I think about um, a poet in my area of Lawrence, Kansas, um, Denise Lowe, who was a Kansas poet laureate. But more than whatever that means to people, she is a person of um, part Native heritage, um, culture, however you want to say that. And, and a lot of her work is informed by Native um, myths from her particular family's um, experiences, um, you know, as opposed to 
It's not that all natives are the same. I don't w- want to sound that stupid. So, so I'm saying that, you know, you mentioned, for example, a very particular person close to you and a particular tribe from a person, certain area, you know, I, 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 I could catch glimpses of, I, I probably need to know more about this to really know what's in your poetry. And that long ramble is about experiencing diversity in even what I've read so far and recognizing that in your long career of writing, that certainly you have a lot of influences and, and that to me is fascinating. Yeah. Um, I wasn't in the beat movement, but I was in the. Sh- I grew up in the shadow mm-hmm. of the beats, and I would go to. Uh, I lived in Oakland, and I'd go up to North Beach and listen to their poetry. And then in open mics, I would uh, occasionally read those early uh, poems. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't so much to be part of the beats movement, but just uh, just to have a just to be heard, just to have a seat at the table. Mm-hmm. And you're quite right about different attitudes in different Indian tribes. You have to, one might remember that um, these are nations, and so they've got a conservative and a traditional and a punk and a, uh, uh, veterans, and they've got all these different uh, different opinions in just one tribe. And so mm-hmm. to, you can't generalize. Indians in general, or a Pacific uh, tribe. So, we still there? Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, and Johnny Montoya was, uh, I guess you could call traditional, but uh, not in any serious way. He was uh, uh, laughed a great deal. Had a wonderful sense of humor. Uh, took sweat baths and sang, but. As for me getting uh, any accurate culture, um, that would be questionable. Questionable. Other Indians of the tribe told me, "Hey, he's not telling you the he's not telling you the real truth." And uh-huh. I don't expect the real truth. I just expect what comes out. Mm-hmm. And uh, the fact that he may have misinformed me uh, only enhances his presentation. Mm-hmm. Because uh, this is what he chose to tell me, and if he was, if he thought he was getting away with fooling me, wonderful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm no, I'm no, I'm no Indian expert, but I do go to the Havasupai Reservation, which is you know eight miles down in the Grand Canyon to the south mm-hmm. of the park. No, not south, uh, west of the park, and I've been going there for 54 years, and I. Nowadays, I stay mainly with the widows of my previous friends, uh-huh. but the sweat bath is still going on, and uh, I hang out somewhat with the traditionals. Um, you know, they they like to wear the costume and sing the songs, and of course, they're going to be against uranium mining uh-huh. and uh, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So how how did you connect with Johnny or how were you connected with him? Oh, okay. When I was 14, I went to the Grand Canyon with the YMCA out of Oakland. Uh-huh. And uh, eventually I would, uh, I was employed as a, a, a camp counselor, 
so I got my trip free. Uh-huh. And when I'm when I had time off, I would uh, go up to the sweat bath, and uh, they were very open and welcoming. They didn't have too many people that were interest, interested among the tribe with the sweat bath. They, these young people were interested in uh, alcohol and rock and roll, uh-huh. and so they found a receptive uh, listener. So, and this you know, was a little bit more dramatic when I, uh, when the old men were alive mm-hmm. and I had sort of their protection mm-hmm. from other groups. So, um, and I still am involved with them and, you know, call down there every so often. And, uh, you can see the arrows go through hearts. The cover is a, is a shield Mm-hmm. And it has, uh, except for the arrow going through the center of it, it's a Havasupai uh, drum with people sitting around it. Initially, mm-hmm. I was looking for a picture with uh, two friends masked, and then I was in the center uh, uh, pulling an arrow back, and I, we all looked very ferocious. Uh-huh. But I couldn't, I couldn't find that <laughs> photo when I went back there. Uh-huh. So this was uh, a fortuitous. Um, Discovery, uh-huh. and then Julie did a great job with uh, uh, taking the book and putting it into a very nice shape, and that's how this book came about. I had sent it out a decade ago, and then I got involved in Germany, and I never uh, finished this. And finally, this is all finished, and it was it came about because uh, Todd was. Uh, afraid that his friend Julie might be lonely because he moved from our area to uh, New Orleans. And so uh-huh. I just proposed it to her. Uh-huh. And she said, well, you know, uh, Six Wells Press, she was sure wanted it, but she didn't think her press was big enough or uh, or established enough to um, to take it on. I said, no, 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 you'll be fine. All I want is a uh, hundred copies it cost uh-huh. so I could uh, have something to sell in Germany or to have it available and I could you know go it uh, put it in uh, bookstores and they wouldn't be um, hampered by uh, a higher cost uh-huh. you know it's three ninety five no no uh, twelve ninety five on Amazon but then if a bookstore gets it, they've got to charge sixteen ninety five or nineteen ninety five to make a little profit. Uh-huh. So I could sell it to a couple bookstores, uh, you know, at a much more reasonable sum. So they could, <laughs> um, so they could wouldn't have an albatross that cost too much. Uh-huh. And they would they could they could sell it at, for a reasonable price. So okay. Yeah, and I really want to shout out to Julie Valin. She did a wonderful yes, job, and yeah, very happy with uh, her efforts on my behalf. Yeah, and so we want people to know they can find that book actually by starting at Six Foot Swells Press um, online and and read a little bit about it, see the cover, learn a little bit about it, and then order it from from that starting point. If it's not already in some independent bookseller near you because I'm, I'm a big believer in uh, buy those books 
buy them as close to you can as to the people who created them. So like at readings, that's a great place to buy a book from small presses that put out great books like Six Foot Swells Press. You know, ask your local independent bookseller. We have a great bookstore in Lawrence, Kansas, the Raven Bookstore, that's actually now owned by a poet. Um, and and I love, you know, going there and say, hey, Danny, this is what I need, and I can't get it easily otherwise. Can you get it for me? Um, I, I think it's really important to, to do that before we start at the big online booksellers. Just say listeners. Oh, <laughs> Support the locals, support the artists, support the small presses, because they're what are making so much great stuff happen. Yes. So I want you to read. So I've got so many questions, but I want, you know, we, we've got to hear you read. Yes, some and listen, I don't want to. Can you give me a number between your, your, uh, the audience, if they want a sample, uh, can uh, check Amazon. You get five free poems. But uh, <laughs> can you give me a number between six and 120? I don't know what I'm giving you number four, so I'm going to start. You're going to give me a page number, and so this is going to be a random selection. Okay. Well, I said eight. We'll start with eight. Eight. Okay. Dried bird claw. Dried bird claw found within a dead snake's desert dried skin in a chimney between two cliffs in a sheer tower side, only way up. Dried bird claw found on finding my way down after looking over edges from slanting down, from slanting out downward ledges. Claw which relieved my fear of dying, stranded and waterless, the spirits waiting until full power of night to attack, swarming the thirsty mind with fear. Dried bird claw. The way back, the feel of feeling to fall where you live by care, aware that life can suddenly end, dizzy of heights and balancing in the wind, trusting rock and body to hold another instant. Wonderful. So, yeah, I was a mountain climber once, not a big one. Uh -huh. But I was famous for uh, turning back at the top if I felt uneasy about the final push. Uh, give me another number between 50 and 120. Okay. Well, now that you told me what you're doing, I'm not going to cheat because I do have the book right next to me. But I, I'm going to go for a different end of the book. So how about 110? Okay. And you can actually, if you'd like one, you can cheat. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Poet is thief gives everything away. Okay, here's another one. You see, this is you just accident, accidentally. Uh, this is an older one, probably from the '80s. It also is uh, one of the quarter here that's uh, maybe uh, Grand Canyon inspired. Ancient mastery. In a six-room prefab Indian's home, flown from eight miles away, down from South Canyon Rim, I wake to moonlight from a sleep after a hauled in by mule and bought at the store meal. Only the tortillas and sharing was native, 
to this land the government has tried so hard to tame through debt, credit, dependency, and police. Outside, frightened dogs bark back at long coyote howls, echoing echoes, magnifying what was and is terror or ecstatic, wild. This thin veneer of white colonial genocide park service carrying guns is doomed by an older understanding that could cope with the wilderness inside. Ancient mastery in in thee I trust, given the ancient mastery to trust. Wow. Yeah, so this was sort of the first uh, political thing that would show up later in the only way to reduce crime is to make fewer acts illegal. But it also has that, uh, I don't know, it's not a religious thing, but maybe a spiritual component, Mm -hmm. which is... Uh, spiritual in that in the awareness of what's going on around you and awareness of uh, of the larger picture you can't see except for small indications so the poem is you know all the poems are about one's awareness of uh, oh yeah I forgot about that one's awareness of what's going on yeah you um you were, this is uh, poetry and mental health? Well, those are big interests of mine. I'm Well, I'm, guess what? Me too. I was the first <laughs> mental health worker here in Nevada County. Oh, wow. I had no yeah, idea. Yeah, and I was part of uh, a new radical uh, psychology where you weren't, uh, you, you gave, you, did, you, you weren't an authoritarian master, but you mm-hmm. were like a peer counselor. Uh-huh. And uh, you encouraged people just to tell their own truth. And I think mm-hmm. in telling your own truth, this is, uh, is liberating and healthy, just yes. like the talking cure. Oh. You're not directing it. You're just encouraging someone to tell their feelings yes. in a place where feelings aren't always given much uh, priority. And uh, so... I'm on the same page with you. I love, yeah. I think poetry is better than Prozac. And <laughs> yeah. uh, before you know it, you can write your own truth and then you're part of the uh, process. You don't have to listen to somebody else's interpretation or generalization of yes. uh, why you're sick or, uh, or getting better. Yeah. And you're not giving yeah. your own power yeah. away. Yeah. My, my connection briefly is uh, was starting as a volunteer counselor in a crisis center um, as a young idealistic and um, probably I didn't realize it at the time um, person who brought understanding from a lot of complications of growing up in uh, with a lot of disruption anyway that journey took me to believe very strongly in listening and and one of the things that i say so loud is no shame about whatever we've experienced you know and flash forward much later to finally getting more aware of art in my own community and and poetry and having people spontaneously say that 
their writing is what saved their lives at really dark yeah. times, you know? And and having that come up in conversation after conversation, not because I was asking it, but just in, in asking people about their writing. Um, and and there was this, this recognition that creating, whether it's writing or painting or dance or whatever kind of art, but but the expression of creating one's art and the personal clarification sometimes that happens. And then when people do share their art, the 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 way it connects with people who experience it, who are often coming up to that artist if they have the courage to do so and saying, you know, what you're saying, that's me too, and thank you, you know? It's, it's um, so important to me. It's so important that we have those kinds of, I don't know whether you want to say it's, you know, unexpected opportunities, uh, but I, like you, don't believe that everything has to happen through a very traditional, uh, formal, hierarchical type of mental health care by any means. Yeah, it seems like we're in the same school. Here's a psychological poem in um, from the one that got away. This was the first thing I did with sixwellspress.com, and it's called Defenseless. And it was translated by one of the my best uh, Berlin and Vietnamese uh, of, of Vienna uh, uh, translators, Anne Cotton. Defenseless. As long as the ego's intact, nothing really gets through. You misunderstand what she tries to say, but once defensive strategy breaks apart, everything makes sense. By then, you've held up so well, so long, it's too late. Wow. So I'm really proud of that one because it gives yeah. the definition of ego, which all these uh, mumbo jumbo psychology words can be have so many uh, different meanings. Yes. But as a defensive strategy, um, breaking apart. Yeah, I can dig that. Yeah. And that's yeah. Uh, now th- this one. The first thing from arrows go through hearts. The only way to reduce crime is to make fewer acts illegal. Mm-hmm. Um, the one that got away. That's the one. And here's the uh, title poem. And this was uh, Al Pair in Germany. And since I was staying with uh, ga- you know, a guest in a the home of a person I had met with the Zen Center, I didn't think it would be uh, good to yield to my sensual lust with the au pair. Um, <laughs> that was a big mistake. She got married a week after uh, I wrote this poem, so she was definitely sending, my mes- sending me messages. Uh-huh. The one that got away. I try to keep my eyes off your beautiful body perfect in all ways. I try to look into your face, the eyes so vividly alive, the smile that lights up the hearts of small babies, and older men with white hair, 
which you turn into shy boys who wish they were small babies, in particular, your small baby. I try not to stare through your black mesh top, though you sometimes look up and see me looking, but I don't turn away nervously. No, I smile at you, and you, during those rare moments when the universe stops and recreates itself out of nothing, you smile back. Lovely. <laughs> Lovely. And, you know, I want to talk about Todd here for a moment. Mm -hmm. uh, this is what, why he's a good editor. Mm -hmm. The original version said, to your mesh top. And he said, color, give me a color. Uh -huh. So then through your black mesh top, uh -huh. much clearer image. You can almost uh -huh. see the throbbing bosoms beneath <laughs> them. So leave it to Todd to make it sexier, huh? <laughs> well, he just he just knew where the detail was uh, needed. And uh -huh. um, another poem, uh, he said, this needs a new title. And I said... Uh, okay, I'll think about it and get back to you. And he said, no, right now. <laughs> and so this one, uh, the poem was called, I called it Fate. And it's only three lines. It goes, I will find that special person who is wrong for me in just the right way. Uh -huh. And uh, Alexander... Uh, Crone um, translate, translated this three-line poem, and he did a better job from all I can under, uh, gather from my other translators than I did myself. So this is just, uh, you know, how, uh, how the translation can make uh, more than, uh, than what you originally did. And this was especially true with uh, Numinous Luminosity, um, which I read at Powell's in, uh, when it came out. I read with the head of the Italian uh, uh, at, at, the or at the college up there. And because Italian and parts of English are so Latinated, you got two poems, but the real poem existed between the two uh, between the English and the Italian version. And you could, uh, it, it was quite enhanced by having uh, them repeated, but not quite repeated back and forth. In Germany, it's uh, a slightly different, it's not quite, the cognates aren't there. Um, mm, oh yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe I'll read a poem uh, from the French, but first, um, Here's another poem, just because it's on the opposite side of fate, Directions. And uh, Todd and his wonderful ex-wife, Amy, uh, now it's, uh, let's see, Amy Flowers now, or Amy Kille, uh, Klingelhofer, uh, we were having a drink in a local bar on Highway 49, uh, close to my house. And this is called Directions. Where can I find a woman way out here in the country, he asked. Easy, 
just go down to Peterson's Corner on the first night of the month. Lots of women get their welfare checks, and when drinking, they get lonesome for some temporary companionship while they wait for their husbands to get out of jail. Uh, that's bad. <laughs> and here's the you know, we, we just sat down there for a beer, and I got two poems. The second one is for Amy. She complained to him as we sat down for a beer. You haven't wanted to kiss me all day. I announced, well, I'm available. If he's not. <laughs> and I don't, I don't, um, I like those might be my two bar poems. Todd is one of the few people that can actually uh, get inspiration and, uh, and make good poems out of his, uh, his misadventures in a bar. And I, <laughs> I actually, uh, Todd and Amy and I were close. So, uh, and I was going to Paris anyway. Uh, and so they told me they had, um, uh, an extra room. Somebody had given them uh, an apartment in Paris and they wanted to know if I wanted to stay there for a while. So I want to thank Todd and Amy for inviting me on their honeymoon. I enjoyed it very much. <laughs> and Amy's a great cook, so I could I could uh, find out what I was ordering uh-huh. in a restaurant. And Todd was this is this great raconteur that can... Um, can make even a jury uh, bar scene of, you know, extremely stimulating. Yes. Yes. So <laughs> you, you said that you, you went to Paris and at that time with their invitation to share this apartment. So I, I was wondering how from this rural California life that you lead, how, how did you originally connect with doing all this poetry in Germany and France and other places? Well, that's a really good question. And I have to admit that uh, before the millennium, I did, uh, was able to, well, especially before 1997, where I got that award. Um, this place, California, this rural neighborhood, was really stimulating. We have some very good poem, poets out here. Uh, uh, Gary Snyder's my next door neighbor, but uh, there's some lesser knowns that were equally stimulating, humorous, and uh, inspirational. And so there were a lot of poets. There were a lot of poetry readings over campfires. The strength of arrows go through hearts. Is these poems were tried out ten or twenty times at different readings. And when you read a poem before an audience, um, you're sharing the whole mind of the audience. So you're more intelligent if you're open to it. And I could make uh, changes right at the reading just by uh, listening to the audience's thoughts and make corrections on those poems. Uh, Subsequent years, it's a little bit more, uh, less of that. poems. I do cut-ups. I'm stimulated by the wider world. And I guess I should say uh, 
uh, about that I I write more in Germany in two months or uh, seven weeks than I do the whole rest of the year in uh, California because I find it easier to write in a post-fascist society than a pre-fascist society. Mm. And I don't want to get get into uh, you know any kind of political analysis, but uh, in America it's always like 1939 and. Germany has uh, transcended their 1939 experience, and uh, partly because they got horrible movies in high school, and so the whole population knows um, what their government uh, was active in um, during the late 30s and early 40s, and a lot of Americans just... uh, we're just now getting the news of Vietnam, and you know we believe our government when they say there's weapons of mass destruction, and they're not as uh, skeptical of government power as maybe uh, populaces that have been betrayed, openly betrayed by their government are. And the other thing, of course, is I'm um, bearing the fragrance of flowers from afar. Mm-hmm. You know, here's a poet from some other place and uh, has a different perspective. And though I have my own hang-ups, they're not the German hang-ups. And so I seem relatively free and adventurous uh, uh, compared to them. But, you know, that's that's just a, uh, what, uh, a cross-cultural uh, contrast, and maybe I'm not as smart as, or as talented as they might believe, you know, because I'm saying they, I'm saying things they wouldn't say. Uh-huh. And, and let's see. Um, yeah, go ahead. Well, and still, what, what, how did you end up there, though? You, you mentioned, you know, being in the company of really good poets there in California. Okay, how'd I get there? Yeah. Yeah. Um, If you're just a poet like me, not a novelist, not the uh, husband or wife or somebody with a real income, a lot (laughs) of women really like poetry. They might even fall in love with me for three or four minutes. smart enough to know how much a poet is likely to earn. Uh-huh. Now, a poet like Gary Snyder, he can earn, he's at the top of the game, he can earn as much as a high school teacher. <laughs> uh, but the only kind of woman that might be, in, you know, one type of woman, let's say that, that is interested in hooking up with a poet are librarians. And especially the kind of librarians that can take take a book and go right to the uh, the sexy parts. You know, they can pick up Lady Chatterley's Lover for the first time, and in two minutes they go right to the stuff that was outlawed for a while in the state. So uh, my librarian friend Shirley uh, was in uh, Southern France. 
And uh, she said, well, obviously our relationship is not uh, uh, as strong so that you would come and visit me. And I said, hey, I'll come and visit you. Yes, our relationship is strong enough for that. I always like to go beyond my boundaries. So... Um, <laughs> Oh my. I went okay. over there. <laughs> yeah, I went over there. She had been there a month. And then we spent uh, oh, most of a month in southern France, Nimes, a very charming uh, previous Roman town, you know, with the Colosseum and uh, ancient buildings. And then we went for a week in Paris. I had a friend that uh, could give me an apartment. Um, and and so that was very stimulating, and that's where I made my contacts with uh, Shakespeare and Company, which I was very grateful when the old man was alive because he wouldn't let me stay there for a month at a time. But uh, so she, my friend Shirley, went back to uh, California, and I had a month uh, uh, left. And a uh -huh. friend um, gave me the, uh, three addresses to people. Uh, in other parts of Europe, Amsterdam, uh, oh, and uh, this place where eventually they had the um, this uh, uh, bi-yearly, uh, every other year poetry reading, and um, the uh, Verlag Press, Peter Peter Engsler, and um, he said. Uh, you say you're a poet and he writes poetry and I tried to get him interested in the only way to reduce crime is to make fewer acts illegal, which actually is out now under uh, Let Freedom Ring. And uh, he said, well, you know, I, I know a lot of poets that say they, uh, you know, are friends of or companions with Gary Snyder or Allen Ginsberg. Allen Ginsberg, by the way, is uh, I worked for him. Uh, building his house out here by Gary Snyder. And um, so he was he was completely unimpressed uh, that I might be a poet, because his English is limited. And I said, well, what uh, German books are you published in? I said, well, I have some poems in Gatte. And uh, so we turned to um, my poems in Gatte, and... Lo and behold, on the opposite side of the page were his poems. Oh. So this was like uh, a sign that I really was a poet and I really was uh, part of his group. Oh. And, uh, and so then that was in 97, and then I had a reading there in 90. Oh, then he came here in 98, and uh, he picked the poems for Luminous Numinosity, and then there was this uh, big gathering in 99, and the contest was for uh, books published between 
from India. And it was just beautifully created, but I did send him that book. And that's the book because it was about Johnny Montoya and it was about the Grand Canyon. And as I said, um, the Germans, many Germans, uh, have a, a romantic idea about the Indians uh, because all they have in their past are, uh, you know, robbers living in castles and the oppression of the poor people and the Indian tribes. Let's say the Sioux had a different way of looking at the world and they recognized the need for police, but the office of police moved to a different clan every year. So uh, nobody oppressed anybody too much because they knew their uh, intertribal rivals would soon hold the same position as they do. So that's how I got over there. And then Ingpol Median dissolved. Uh, Jan Pollock, uh, the collaborator, um, didn't have the... Uh, funds or will to follow it. And Ingpol Media, uh, Peter Inksler inherited some money from Peter Slausinger's uh, um, estate. And so he had the money to put on these, these uh, uh, by year, uh, every other year uh, gatherings. So uh-huh. um, that's how it came about. And uh, then to to really cement it, part of that Inpol Median was a residency in the town of Ostheim, uh, sort of on the east, uh, the west side of the east-west border. A very charming town with a walled uh, Protestant church, completely surrounded by Catholics, uh, Catholic towns and villages. And so I had a whole uh, three months. I spent four months, three months there, and one month in Paris. And so I really got into uh, learning how to live and be stimulated, not by the wilderness or the uh, the culture of Berkeley, which I'm not that far away from, but by a whole new experience. And though my interpretations uh, may not have been accurate, at least they were stimulating to my imagination. And... Uh, I knew that I would be coming back here uh, every other year, just like I go to the Grand Canyon every year. This was, uh, you know, part of a pilgrimage site that was going to change every time I went, but yet would have some sim- uh, similarities. And, uh, yeah, like that. So, so that I, think your question? I think you get summed up by serendipity and imagination. <laughs> oh, yeah. Definitely. You know, like, um, I have a great sex life because I've got a good imagination. (laughs) You know, not all these, uh, all these love poems conform to actual facts, but the actual facts of the world (laughs) created the imagination. I want to share Libertaire. It's part of uh, a book that's going to be very hard for people to find. Uh, there may be, okay. there's a couple copies in a couple bookstores, but this is, um, yes, most of my translations are in English, in uh, initially Italian and now German, but this is a poem I translated from the French, and it's called Libertaire. 
Now, I don't speak French, and I don't write French, but when you open a French book, there's a lot of cognitives that are similar from their Latin roots to uh, English words. And sometimes they have different meanings, but that's okay with me. I can, as a surrealistic translator, I can just open, oh, an anarchist uh, book. These are the people that uh, I had friends with in Paris because of Ken Nab, of uh, the Situationalist Movement. And so here's Libertaire. Oh, by the way, Libertaire, in 1956, the anarchists and the surrealists uh, moved together joined alliance. What a relief. Uh, I'm more of a Taoist than anything, but uh, so, but I wasn't like uh, the author of the only way to reduce crime is to make fewer acts illegal, you know, like a dissident, American dissident uh, in an outpost, but I was just another surrealist uh, basing my life and dreams and imagination and really no threat to anyone. So that and the, the grouping of the anarchists and the surrealists is called libertaire. So that's the title. Okay. A spirit fragmented with pretense is an imposter. Art that misses utopia isn't real. This phony world only a copy. I'm waking up to a vast belief conspiracy to hypnotize and cow whole nations already true. The domination of capital is the religion of synthetic images, while revolt is a salute, an enchantment of love, lessons without ideology or avatar, without frontiers, delectable exaltations, ravishing the moment's infancy as a superb source of fragile sensations. Renouncing infirmities, skepticism, official justifications, and all that is not celebration. Effervescence affirms absolute necessity, abandons the fortresses of petrification. The vigilant spirit of subversion facilitates the psyche of man. And effervescence are those little bubbles that come up in your beer. Ah, and those okay. last four lines are like my favorite, so I'm going to read them again. Okay. Effervescence affirms absolute necessity, abandons the fortresses of petrification. The vigilant spirit of subversion facilitates the psyche of man. Yeah. And the vigilant spirit of subversion, or the vigilant of Spirit of Subversion Facilitates the Psyche of Man is one of the possible titles for my next collection of 108 poems that I'm working on now. Ah, okay. Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, and you know, I don't know if that's what the French meant in the uh, lines I stole from uh, <laughs> from another uh, culture, but uh -huh. it, it held together. Uh-huh. The French, by the way, have poems in their uh, metros and buses. Cool. I thought that was really a different way of looking at poetry. Here in America, uh, the definition of a poet without a girlfriend is homeless. 
Ooh. But I live in the woods in a cabin. Um, I'm in the kitchen. It's a 12 by 20 kitchen, and it's got a bathroom and then a separate uh, room for the toilet. But the original structure of sort of 16 by 16, two stories, um, it was built, most of it was built um, in a weekend. When I was a carpenter on Allen's house, um, I had a lot of, a lot of my friends were also building for other people around here. So I, on Saturday, I had all my building friends here to frame it. And then on Sunday, uh, they and the rest of my friends uh, put in the floor and the roof and the siding or, you know, two thirds of the roof and most of the four walls and the rest I could finish up. And that was the kind of thing that was possible uh, early in this back to the land uh, culture. You know, you could have the same kind of civilization as the the Amish, um, where you could have a a house raising in a weekend. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and of course, I gave them a pretty good party on uh, Saturday and Sunday nights. And uh, there was much hilarity and good fellowship. (laughs) <laughs> you have stories and more stories and and we're at the end of an hour well this is no fair are you <laughs> well it's been wonderful we're going to leave we just, people uh, scrape the service more. but uh, people can <laughs> go ahead yeah it's people are going to want a more. great pleasure yeah well and so Here's the thing. I'll let you know when the new book comes out in a year. Yeah, or sooner. I'd love to continue this conversation, and I know listeners would. And listeners, I'm going to just tell you, you will find almost nothing about Will Staple online. So go to Six Foot Swells Press, buy the book that you can buy right now, (laughs) Arrows Go Through Hearts. So at least you have something of Will Staple to hang on to till you get more. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm 72, and these things are really going to be worth something after I'm dead. <laughs> so, you know, now's the time to invest just to, you know, twelve ninety five, and you'll have something uh, that will, right. you know, can help your ch- uh, grandchildren get through college. There we go. It's these special limited collector's items. <laughs> it's been, Marcia, you've been great. Nice talking with you. The time went so fast. Yes, so fast. Not long enough time. But again, I hope that we will do this again. And huge shout out to Todd Cirillo, Julie Vallon, and Matt Hammond of the wonderful Six Foot Swells Press for making this connection and making this book available. Arrows go through hearts. My copy's sitting right here, folks. You should get yours soon while they are still available. (laughs) Thank you, Will. My pleasure. All right. And so long to our listeners. Hey, that went okay. <laughs>